it's important that we pray. Do we all agree we must pray? That we should, there should not, a day go by that we do not pray, amen? First um, Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Tell your neighbor it's God's will that you pray. Amen. Not, not just think a thing, but to actually really pray. Communicate with the Father. He wants you to talk to him. James 5 and 16, of course, says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Avail simply means that it benefits or it helps much. And how many of God's righteous do I have in the house? Everybody, if you're saved, everybody's hand should be up because you are his righteousness, right? And so tonight I'm going to be teaching about the model prayer, and I am going to uh, try to teach it as much as I can because I don't necessarily think it's not that we don't pray as much as it is, it is that we don't know how to pray. And you realize that God, Jesus, our Father, gave us a model, an example on how to pray, and prayer life is vital to our spiritual walk, it's vital to our relationship, it's vital to our growth in Jesus, but we have to make sure we know how to pray the right way. Amen. So here it is again, Matthew 6, 5. I read verse 7. It goes on to say this, Matthew 6 and 7 says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I'll go back to um, 6 and 5. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Don't, we, we're not going to pray. Well, none of us here are hypocrites, right? A, a hypocrite is one who pretends to be a certain way, but acts and believes the complete opposite. So I'm believing that in our church, we don't have that going on here. I believe that we all love Jesus and we're all trying to be like him. And do we mess up? Sure. Do we fail? Absolutely. We fall down, fall down we get up. There's a whole song about it, right? We, we, so I, we love Jesus. We have issues. Praise God. But that's what Jesus is in our life for. So no, there's no hypocrites here. We're not saying we love the Father and then a complete opposite way, right? But hypocrites in the Greek, it comes from the uh, word, uh, in the Greek it means a pretender or an actor. Again, there's no actors in here, all right? But it says, do not be like the hypocrite. Then it jumps and says, do not be like the heathen in verse 7. And a heathen is someone who doesn't believe in God at all. That they just have a form, a form of godliness but don't even believe in God. Anybody know some spiritual people but don't serve God? Like they have spiritual answers and spiritual realm. And they, like, there's not even, there's not even a Buddha or nobody. There's like just no God. They just believe in the universe or something odd like that, okay? That, that's what a heathen is, all right? So just want to clear that up. But it says this, it says this, but when you pray, pray in this manner, verse 9. And here's the model prayer, people of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the, well, not, not thine, but for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How many of you all memorized that when you were a child? Yeah, absolutely. I say it right away. It's like the Pledge of Allegiance. Amen. We say the pledge. We don't know what we're saying, but we say it. And I, true, I think sometimes with this prayer, we say it, but we don't realize what we're saying. And it is the model perfect prayer. The perfect way to pray to God is found here. So it says, listen. Um, we don't want to be a hypocrite. We don't want to pray the wrong way. We don't want to be like the person found in Luke 6, 41 and 42 that says this. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Amen. We don't want to pray that way, right? You realize in our Christian life that as we begin to grow in Christ and we become righteous and we know about five or six Bible 
the scriptures by heart, we really feel like we are just really strong in God and big in him. And we can begin to pray wrong. Where we no longer pray for ourselves, but we pray for others. And that can be kind of a, you know, not living the good life, right? As far as being a model prayer. It says this, remove the plank from your eye, and then you can see clearly the speck in your eye. Can I get an amen? Anybody go through that stage in their life where you got really strong in God and you forgot praying about yourself? You just prayed for everybody else. You were a prayer warrior for strangers and family members and people at your job. You saw fault in everything. My God in heaven, everyone's going to hell but you. And, and, and you were worried and really concerned. And so you would spend your days praying for other people, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think we should intercede. But it gets wrong when you're not recognizing the plank that everybody else sees in your eye. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. So when you master the ability to find fault in others and not find fault in yourselves, you could be verging on to the hypocrite side of life. And I'm just giving a fair warning to all of us because, like I said, nobody's here like that now. But just be careful. We don't want the Pharisee type of spirit, the old self-righteous spirit, the oh, I've got it together spirit, because we don't. We, we, it, we struggle. It, it, it should be a struggle every day. That's not a negative confession. That means that you're fighting your flesh every day. If you're not struggling, I'm worried. You've probably given in. Amen. All right. That's a good word. So it says this. Okay, listen. Uh, let me just real quick on hypocrites, just because I had fun with it today studying. Faithful people can be hypocrites. Faithful people in the church can be Yes, they can. Luke 13 and 10 says this. Now, this is funny. Please, if you have a Bible, highlight this. We're at 13, 10, Luke. Now he was in the, one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. I'm sorry. Let me start over. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Anybody know what the Sabbath was? The day of rest. Okay? He was teaching in the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could not raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, called her, said, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity, right? We all should know that. Woman, thou art loose. That comes from this scripture right here. And Jesus laid hands on her, and she was healed, and she was made straight, and she glorified God. But then the pastor got mad because Jesus had the audacity to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Forget we were having church. Okay. It's the day of rest. We should be at home, pancakes and football, right? No. Everybody's at church. And I don't know about you, but when you go to church, you work, right? All my volunteers in the house, amen. Y'all should be like, yes, amen. We, and we love it. We love it. But going to church is not sit down in, on our little chairs and listen. We're, most of us are working, and some of you got the kids up and got to get them organized. To school. You're working to get them all ready. So here it is. The pastor gets mad because he heals the lady on, in church. How dare Jesus heal somebody in church? And then Jesus, our Lord, our perfect Savior, the one we love, the one that we sing songs to, the one that's so sweet and kind and that loves us with an everlasting love, says this in Luke 13 and 15, hypocrite! <laughs> Does not each of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to water? I, don't you love Jesus? Hypocrite's a strong word, very accusatory word, right? But Jesus calls the pastor a hypocrite because he's trying to get the people in the mind frame that it's not about how you do it or when you do it as long as Jesus does it that's all that matters amen okay so so there there's an example there's an example of a hypocrite that can be faithful so if you know someone like that because nobody here is that just show them the scripture and then you don't say it let the word say it hypocrite I'm just kidding all right so 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 here it is so so back to back to the prayer the model prayer the model prayer, we need to know that when we go to God in prayer, 
that we go the right way, that we go the proper way, and that we are bold with our prayers. That song we sung, um, Overflow, More Than Enough, He Will Supply El Shaddai, that is a powerful song. We are demanding and pressing on God, and we are saying boldly, you will supply. In fact, we're telling him three times, and you can't sing that song and be passive. And you can't sing that and be scared and not sure. You've got to be bold about it. And that's how I want us to be in our prayer life. So let's go back to the model prayer. It says this, of course, it says that when you pray, you have to have this state of mind. In Matthew 6 and 9, it says this. I'm sorry, 6 and 8 says, therefore, do not be like them, like the hypocrite or the heathen. And then verse 6 and 8 goes on to say, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. I'm going to say that again. For the Father knows these things you have need of before you ask him. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That before you even go to God, you need to go to God with the mindset, he already knows what I need. Amen. Any of you have a, any of you have a child and maybe you overheard that child talking about something that they wanted and just in, in passing and then the little boy comes to you later on and says, hey, mom, I got to ask you something and you already know what it is. And you just wait because you want them to ask. And you kind of you lead them on a little bit. Come on, go ahead and ask me because I know what you want. And you know the answer is yes. That's how our father is. He knows that we belong to him, that we're his children. And that when we have a need or a desire or a request, he's like, okay, come on, just ask me. I already know what you need. I already know what to, just ask me. Don't be afraid. Have the mindset that I will do it for you. So when you go to pray, people of God, we want to go with that mindset. He already knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And then it says, and then this man will pray. So here it is. It goes into our father. Right away relation. When you pray to God, you want to make sure that he knows and you know that he is not my father, but he is our father. That we serve a God that loves all of us. Am I his favorite? Yes, I am. But you say that too. We, we say that to get you in a mindset that God loves us. We're all his favorite, okay? And, and honestly, there's no favorite in God, but in our fleshy mind, I like to know that I'm his favorite just because I think it sounds good, okay? But we know that he loves us all the same, right? He's no respecter of person. So when you go to pray, you say, our father, not my father, not that, like you're some spoiled brat, come on, but our father. Our Father, the Father, that the relationship is important, that you are admitting that he's the Father to all. And when you say our Father, you are immediately promoting unity in the body, okay? Our Father. It says this, Ephesians 4 and 1 says, uh, actually let's go to Ephesians 4 and 4 for sake of time. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So there it is clarified right there. There's one God that's in us all, and he belongs to all of us. Praise God. And then it shifts into location, still staying in Matthew 6 and 9. It says, who lives in heaven. We need to understand that our God lives in another universe away from us. Amen. That heaven is real, just like hell is real, just like earth is real. There is a heavenly place. And one day when we live a good, long, strong, prosperous life, we, our goal is to get into heaven. Come on. Where there are streets of gold and that there's angels saying, holy, holy is the Lord. And that there is no sun or moon because the glory of God is so bright. And there is no night or no sadness in this place. Hallelujah. Praise God. That there is a place that we will see Jesus face to face. 
And I, I, I long for that day. I'm not impatient for that day, but my God, what a blessing to finally see our Father and then behold, we will see all each other as who we really are, but we know he's in heaven. But more so, is it important to know that God's in heaven? We need to know that his ways are in heaven. Amen. Isaiah 55 and 9 says, for the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Come on. God is saying this, for as the heaven is higher than the earth, and we see that when we walk out tonight, we will see the heaven and the stars, right? He's saying my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than yours. Isn't that a blessing? That when you have the best, brightest idea you could ever come up with, his ideas are still way better than yours. Amen? That when you do a really good thing for somebody, his ways are better than that. Come on. I mean, so, so, so he gets you in the mind frame that when you pray to God, you can say, God, I want this to happen. But you are going to exceed my imagination. You're going to do exceedingly, abundantly, above more than I can think because your ways are higher than mine because you reside in a higher realm. Amen? And so then the scripture goes on in Matthew. It says, it says, uh, it says hallowed be your name. Okay? So here's our Father. Uh, who, li who lives in heaven, hallowed be thy name, meaning that he is holy. We know that, right? That our God is holy, our God is set apart, our God is bigger than any other God. Amen. You could really say that our God is bigger than any God. You know, all the other little gods, little G's, praise the Lord, our God is higher. And our God is holy. And our God is set apart. And there is no God like our God. Our God is the only true righteous king. There is no way to God but through Jesus. Come on. It, it, God, God, God is real. Our God is a good God. He's a fair God. He's a just God. He's a holy God. He is righteous. Matter of fact, we should bow in his presence. We should honor him. We don't say his name out of any kind of bad words using his name in vain, right? We honor God. We'll pop our kids if they do it, praise the Lord, because we love God. Amen? We don't, we don't like God jokes either. We can joke about other stuff, but don't talk about Jesus. Don't you just get, like, offended? Like, hey, hey, wait. That's not funny. <laughs> Because we honor God, right? Because he's holy, he's set apart, he's consecrated, he's divine. When you pray, our Father, you belong to all of us. My God, you live in heaven, you're higher than I am. Oh my God, but wait, let me not forget you're holy. Your name is holy. You know, in the name of Jesus, demons flee. There's power in your name. You have a great name, God. Just your name, Jesus, makes devils tremble and stop. When you pray that way, then Matthew 6.10 goes into your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here we are praying to God, and we're saying, okay, you're my father, and you, I know my relation, I know your location, I know that you're holy. Now I need your kingdom to come. And you realize a kingdom cannot function without laws. There's no kingdom, no citizenship that can function without laws. Amen? There's a, 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 in a kingdom, there has to be a standard of conduct that must be followed by the citizens of the kingdom. Do you hear what I'm saying? There cannot be a kingdom without order. And so in the kingdom of God, there's order. Amen. So in the kingdom of God, we choose to follow his laws, his commandments, because we are, it's set in place for us to live a godly life. Now you all know in the Old Testament, Moses came down with the laws, the order, the structure, the conduct, and we just blew it, right? We, we can't do it because within ourselves, we are all hot messes. Can I get an amen? We, we don't live by rules well. We'll keep eight, but not the other two. Come on. We'll do seven, not three, one, not nine. Come on. You know, you'll pick them. You'll pick the one you want. Praise the Lord. And so God knew, okay, wait, I got to do this over. I got to send Jesus not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, okay? Because God's kingdom has laws. 
Matthew 5 and 17 reaffirms what I just said. It says this. Jesus said, do not think I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but fulfill. So in other words, the things set in place are still in place, all right? Come on, the Ten Commandments. Do not steal, don't kill, don't cheat, don't sleep with other people's husbands or spouses. Amen. Don't want what other people have. Aren't they very basic? Isn't it a shame we had to have those written down? If you really think about it, oh, okay, don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie, honor my mom and dad. Okay, good, good idea. Like, that's a good, that, uh, okay. Isn't that crazy that God had to, like, write it plain for us? Because without, uh, without any type of structure, our conduct will do anything. Without Jesus, we as a people are subject to do anything. That's why when I watch the news, I'm like, I'm shocked. But without Jesus, we could do anything. So here it is. It says don't steal, don't kill, and then, you know, don't sleep with other people's spouses and, and, and don't want what other people have. I'm just naming a few of them. But we realize that we can only fulfill that through Christ because our human nature wants to ignore a couple of those. Amen. And then, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus came on the scene when they said, what's the best commandment? And Jesus says, well, you know, love the Lord God with your heart, your mind, your soul, and then love your neighbor like yourself. You realize if you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you love the, your neighbor like yourself, that you won't kill them, you won't cheat on their, you won't steal. D didn't that make sense? If I love God with all my heart and mind, and so I'm all about Jesus. And if I love my neighbor, I'm going to look out for you. I'm not going to steal from you. I'm going to pray for your marriage, not go take your man because you're struggling. Hello. Amen. So, so when, when you pray, you have to understand that your kingdom come is saying, God, the kingdom which is in me, which Jesus says the kingdom is not in a place, it's in us. When we give ourselves to Jesus Christ, we take on the kingdom. We become citizens of the kingdom that we're to live a life according to the laws that Jesus fulfilled because in him we can do anything. Amen. Is that good teaching tonight? Okay. Ephesians 2, 12 says this. Um, that time you were without Christ. Anybody remember? Remember they were without Christ? And guess what the word says? Ephesians 2.12 says, We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenant promises, having no hope and without God in the world. My God, do you realize how good salvation is? Before you accepted Jesus, this was all of us right here. We were aliens. Remember when the word of God made no sense? It didn't make any sense. You'd, you'd meet Christian people and you'd be like, what? That's why it's called Christianese. It's, it's our own language. You know, it's funny how Christians, once you get in the world, uh, in, in the word so much, you start saying Christian things like something good happens, you'll say, ooh, ram in the bush. Or something amazing will happen, you'll say, won't he do it? <laughs> that, we get that. The world be like, a bush, a ram, what? They have no idea what the ram in the bush is, okay? <laughs> But, but before that, we were aliens. We were not a part. We were not, we did not, we did not have a chance to enter the covenant promises. Isn't that scary? And having no hope. And then it says this, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. I'm in Ephesians 2 and 14. You know that wall that separated us has been um, abolished. It's no longer there. Because Jesus did it. Verse 6 says, and that he might reconcile them to both God and one body through the cross. That's the purpose of the cross, the resurrection. Therefore, putting to death the enmity. The enmity is the opposition that started in the garden between man and God. 
So I'm just trying to break it down as quick as I can to understand that because of this, we are now considered ambassadors in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. It says that we are ambassadors for Christ. In other words, because the cross did it, the wall is separated, we are now ambassadors. We are all now representatives and we are citizens in the kingdom of God. And because we're in the kingdom of God, there's a set law as of any kingdom that we have to abide by. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, God, the thing you say we're to do, that's what's going to happen in this situation. That's why when you pray, Father, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, that means you're not going to pray, God, have that woman divorce her husband so I can marry him. We're not going to pray those prayers because, remember, we don't want other people's spouses. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you for your response and good night. I'm just kidding. So, so it says, and then it goes, Matthew 6, 10, it says, your will be done. And an, even, an easy definition of God's will is this, knowing his pattern for your life. That's knowing God's will, knowing his pattern for your life. Here's a perfect example of a pattern for your life. 3 John 2 and 1, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. That's a perfect pattern of God's will in your life. Amen. That we prosper, that we find success in everything we do, success in our families, success on the job, success in our personal relationship with Jesus, and we're healthy, come on. That we rebuke disease in the name of Jesus, and that we just rebuke cancer and diabetes and high blood pressure in Jesus' name, right? And that we're in health, and then we prosper as our soul, our emotions aren't crazy and out of whack. We're prospering. We're successful in our soul. Amen? That's a perfect pattern of life. So when you go to pray, you don't say, God, I don't know if I can stop being crazy. No, no, no. I'm going to pray, God, I know the pattern of my life. I know your will. Your kingdom come. Your laws come. Your will be done. The pattern of my life. If it's according to your pattern, that's how you pray. Not against the pattern of your life. Amen? And then it says this, I love this part, give us this day our daily bread, Matthew 6 and 11. And I'm just telling y'all how to go to God in prayer. Matt, you say, okay, give us this daily bread. Proverbs 20 and 17 talks about there's, gain, there's bread that's gained by deceit. We don't want deceitful bread, amen? And then Proverbs 31, 27 talks about bread of idleness. There's no lazy people here, right? We're not going to eat the bread of idleness. We're going to eat this bread right here. John 6 and 51 says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. We want to eat the bread of heaven. Amen. And so we pray, God, give us your daily bread. God, supply for us daily. Psalm 68 19 says, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits to God of our salvation. When you say, give us this day our daily bread, don't think of crumbs falling from a table. And don't think about loaf or bread. You think of this, God, I need your daily load of benefits. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this this morning and studying with pastor, I got really excited because I'm thinking every single day, God loads you with benefits. Every day. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't wonder about it. The moment you open your eyes, benefits, bam, hit your life. Praise God. So, okay, what are the benefits? I'm glad you asked. Psalm 103, 2 and 6 says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 103, 2 and 6. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And it says don't forget him because we will forget them. 
It says this, verse 3, who forgives our iniquities. Come on. That's a benefit we get every day. We are forgiven, not for just our sin, but for the root of sin. And understand this, iniquity is the reason that makes you do what you don't want to do. It's not just the product, it is the source. So the iniquity is forgiven every single day. And then he heals all your diseases. If there's anybody sick in the house, I dare you to put your hand up and say, God, thank you for healing me today. That I, I'm going to get your daily dose of healing. And I'm going to get it tomorrow. And I'm going to get the next day. And come on. And the next day. And the next day. It's a benefit that you give me, God, for no other reason but because I belong to you. And then he says that he redeems your life from destruction. Anybody here almost died? Come on. Like you know, like you know you almost died. Like it almost happened. The car barely missed you. You almost fell off the cliff. That crazy man almost killed you. Come on, you were redeemed from destruction. He took your life back. The enemy tried to kill you, but God stood up and said, oh no, not today, devil. My daughter has a purpose. My son has a plan. You cannot touch what belongs to me. Hallelujah. And every day he redeems your life from destruction. We have no idea what God stopped. We have no idea how God intervened. We have no idea when God told that crazy man, no, 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 not today, devil. Get away from my child. She belongs to me. Get away from their children. They belong to me. Come on and give God praise for redeeming our lives from destruction. Thank you, God. Another benefit is that he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things, and then your youth is renewed every day. Every day. And if the devil's messing with your mind that you might die soon, that you might get sick, that you're, not, that you're unforgiven, that you'll never be satisfied, you tell the devil you are a liar. I know my benefit package. And every single day. God loads us, not sprinkle, but loads us, not just pity pat, but loads us with his benefits. Hallelujah. So then it says, give us there our daily bread. That whole change, that changes that whole sentence, doesn't it? How about this? How about pray this? God, give us this day my daily load. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start praying that myself. God, I need my load today. Father, give it to me. And let me recognize it when you do, Father. Come on. And then it says, and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. Matthew 6 and 12, forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. When you pray, it's easy to say, God, forgive me, I messed up. And God, forgive me for not doing this. And God, forgive me for doing that, doing that. But when God puts that face of that person, you can't stand. Oh, God, you know my heart. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and he continues and puts the person in front of you, and you're like, oh, oh. Shundai, Father. You know the end from the beginning, God. <laughs> it says forgive our debts. You know, it's, it's hard when people owe you, right? See, sometimes we think debts, we think money, like you owe me money. No, I'm talking about that person that owes me an apology. You owe me an explanation. You owe me some respect. 
You owe me some honor. <laughs> you owe me some peace, bruh. Leave me alone. Come on now. Those are debts. Okay? Those are debts. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors. That's very scary because what you're saying is, God, forgive them as I, oh no, forgive me as I forgive them. Messed it up, right? <laughs> Some of y'all are going to repent tonight. You're saying this, the way to pray, the proper way to pray is say, God, forgive me as I forgive them. So if I don't forgive them, I guess you can't forgive me. And the reason why is not that God's not a forgiving God. It's because if you don't have the faith to forgive, you don't have the faith to believe you're forgiven. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. I would go into that deeper, but I'm out of time. But that's the truth. That's why, that's why God says, oh, if, if you don't forgive your them, I can't forgive you. And I used to think, God, that's mean. That's just a bad deal. Don't you know what they did? And God revealed to me clear as day. One day I was, as I was in my struggle, hallelujah, <laughs> he said, if you don't have faith to forgive them, you don't have the faith to know I'm a forgiver. That's why I can't forgive you because you don't even believe. Amen. Mark 11.25 says this. Mark 11.25 says this. It says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Now, it's very interesting in the scripture before that, in Matthew 11 and 24, it says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe and read them that you receive them and you will have them. Isn't that interesting how it's connected? It says in Matthew 11:24, whatever you ask for, if you believe it, you receive it. So you can literally say, God, help me forgive that person. Because it tells you here, because if you don't do that, you're messing it up for yourself. Amen. Let's move on. And then Matthew 6, 13, again with the model prayer, says this, and do not lead us into temptation. Do not lead us into temptation. Um, isn't that awesome? It kind of sounds like an oxymoron, but you know, you know, it can happen. It happened to Jesus, right? Matthew 4 and 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit, capital S, y'all, led Jesus <laughs> to be tempted. Now, we all know that our God does not tempt us, right? He get, he, we, there's trials. But if temptation comes, it is of our flesh and from the devil. God does not tempt us. Does that make sense? God will put us in trials, but he does not tempt us. It, God is not sending that cute, sexy man with that six-pack to your door with a towel on. You know, he didn't, he didn't, that was the devil. That was terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> God didn't send that to see what you would do. That was the enemy who comes to steal, kill, destroy, right? Sorry, pastor. It says, so when you're praying, you can say, God, don't lead me into temptation. You can actually pray that if you're fearful that you might fall. And you guys know where you are in your spiritual walk. You know if you're weak or vulnerable. Can I get an amen? We all know that. We're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm really messed up right now on my faith walk. It's okay. You're not a failure. But those are the times that you should say, God, please, I don't want to be led to temptation, Father. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to handle, but with temptation will also make a way of escape, okay? That you may be able to bear it. 
It says, it, there's a promise. If the temptation, if he shows up with the six-pack and the towel, there's a way of escape. It's called, don't open the door. There's your way of escape. It's called, use your feet and run. Come on. So, don't walk, run. <laughs> there's always ways of escapes, right? And then it goes on to say this. It says this. And you can pray this too. Psalm 119, 133. Direct my steps by your word. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. See, when you pray, oh, God, I'm struggling. No. Pray this. God, order my steps. God, I believe I'm the righteous. I belong to you. Order my steps, God. You say that the steps are ordered. A righteous man's steps are ordered to the Lord. Order, God, don't even have me in the vicinity of the man with the towel, Jesus. Just keep him away. I don't know where this man's coming from. And I, I, I don't know, honey. I'm trying to make it plain. <laughs> Thank you. Pastor said, you've done that. Amen. Mission accomplished. And then it says, deliver us from evil. I'm ending it right here. Deliver us from evil. That evil, God, that we can pray, God, deliver me from morally bad things, from things that cause me harm or injury, and deliver me from bad events. Isn't that a blessing? Anybody used to be like me that you thought, okay, if three things went right, one thing has to go wrong? No one had that thought pattern? I used to have that pattern. It, it's really, it's really a, it's a religious-based pattern of thinking. It's wrong thinking. But I had to realize that once you're in Christ, you, you don't, a, a bad event isn't owed to you. Like, oh, things have been so good, something has to happen. Anybody know someone like that? You start looking for bad things because things are going so great. If you're in here today and have that mindset, that is not the truth. That is not the way we should think. When we pray to God, we pray, God, thank you that you're going to keep bad things from happening to me. And if things do happen, I'm still going to rejoice and praise you. But, Father, I'm just going to put that prayer up there that you keep them away. I don't want drama. Come on. Praise the Lord. I just, I don't, I just don't want it. I can handle it, but if I can avoid it, thank you for doing so. Amen. And then it ends, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Meaning that it's all about Jesus anyway, and all of it really doesn't matter because all the power, all the glory, all the honor goes to God. So the reason why I wanted to explain how to pray, it's very simply put, and I'm closing, is because we're talking about turning up our prayer life. And we're talking about the importance of prayer, that we should pray with diligence, that we should always pray to God without ceasing, that we should absolutely communicate with God. And I want to make sure we're doing it the right way. Because when I was in church, and I was saved, and I was living for Jesus, and Pastor and I were strong in the Lord. We were new Christians, but we were strong in the Lord. And when I got news that my son, Isaac, had a 99.6% chance of being Down syndrome, I really hesitated on giving birth to him. Isaac was actually 15 days late. They were going to induce me the next day. I think sometimes you can will a thing so much in your body that I'm like, this baby's staying in here. Because I was scared. I didn't want to see I had faith, but come on. I was struggling in my faith. And I'll never forget, I went to my room, and for the first time, I actually prayed on the situation. Because Pastor laid hands on me and prayed for me and said, our baby is healed. Don't tell anybody. But that was Pastor and God's conversation. I was reading books about Down syndrome children and what they could do and how they could work and how they could function and maybe he'll get married. I was actually privately preparing for what the doctors had said. So on my 15th overdue day, I went into my bedroom, got on my knees, and I prayed, God, your will be done. Your will be done. 30 minutes later, off to the hospital, I give birth to my son. 
Four doctors are in there to deliver him. They rush him away. I couldn't hold my baby because they, they just knew there was issues. They brought him back to us, gave him to my husband, said, your son's perfect. Gave him to me, said, your son's perfect. Amen. Your son's perfect. And from that moment on the hospital bed, I realized, oh, wait, our God's a healer. So the moment I said, God, your will be done, I said, God, heal my son. Do you see? It wasn't a crapshoot. It wasn't whatever it is it is. I said, God, your will be done. There's benefits. There is, our God is a healing God. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a forgiving God. Our God is a kind God. And I just want you not to make the mistake I did by not understanding what the will of God was. Therefore, it hindered my prayers, and it made that the worst pregnancy. And I went over too late, and I gained all kinds of weight, and I'm still struggling, praise the Lord. And I don't want you to go through that in your prayer life. Does that make sense? Were you guys blessed tonight? All right, amen. Hallelujah. Come on, if you were blessed by that word, come on, let's bless God on tonight. Somebody say, turn up. We got to turn up our prayer life. How I many you know God is a prayer answering God? Amen. The woman of God said it tonight, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 says to pray without ceasing. Amen. So let's make sure that as we shift into the new month of November, December, let's turn up our prayer life like never before because we know our prayers literally move the hand of God. And even as my wife was sharing with our fourth child, Isaac, one of the things he did share with us, he said, now you guys know you can abort and try again. But how many of you know the devil is a lie? Amen. We had faith that our son could get healed because Hebrews 13, 8, God the same yesterday, today. And forever, and my, my, I hung my hat on if he healed the woman with the issue of blood, if he healed blind Bartimaeus, and if he healed Hezekiah, I know he can heal my son Isaac, amen. And so we got to take, we got to learn how to take God for his word, amen, amen. And I believe that when we do that, things will begin. He'll, he'll make every crooked way straight in our life, amen.